that we here are together to serve Christ. I, I noticed something about our building I never saw when I came in this morning. I came in, do you know that the highest place in our building here at Parkside, do you know what the highest location is by way of the building? It's the cross that's right above us. And when you go out, when you come in, notice the cross. It's the highest point of our building, our facility. And I was reminded again, just visually, that's right. It's all about Christ. It's all about what he did at the cross. It's all about what he did in coming back to life. And so what is our goal? What is our role here at Parkside Bible Church by way of our service to him? And I want to talk not to just parents. I want to talk specifically to you young people that are college age and high school and junior hires. I want to challenge you folks that are be, uh, below the age of 25. I want to say this is your church. This is not your mom and dad's church. Because you know what I think many of us think of? Well, this is where I was raised. This is mom and dad's church. Uh-oh, it's your church. It's yours. And I'm going to point out to some of you young people the need for you to say, where can I serve? Because we're going to ask you, if you're 12 years of age and older, to participate in at least one ministry here at Parkside Bible Church. Where do you serve? Where would you like to serve? I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. While you're turning there, I just want to make a comment about the announcement that was made about boot camp, Bible boot camp. This is not a given by way of us doing boot camp. Um, I'm testing, uh, not testing, I guess I'm putting the fleece out to see if there's interest. <laughs> so I'm not sure if we're going to do this boot camp or not, but if you've got three hours for, for two weeks in a row, uh, some of you young people are going to um, go into summertime and you're just going to blob out. I, I, I know what you're going to do. You're going to say, I, I need some time to blob out. And you're going to sleep in until noon. You're going to go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning and you're going to blob out and just kind of enjoy summer. Uh, blob out. You need to do that. But can I challenge you to take two weeks of your summer and to put yourself under the teaching of the scriptures? And for two weeks, what we would like to do is provide an opportunity for you to be taught the scriptures. And if you have an interest in that, I'm looking for at least a minimum of 12 souls. If I get 12 souls, we'll probably do it. I'm still kind of just checking to see if it's going to work. And I'd like to see what your interest is. And so this morning as we turn to Romans chapter 12, we come to a passage of scripture that gives us some of the, the how-tos of service within the church. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 is the paragraph that I'd like us to consider. Let's do this. Let's look at this passage. Why don't you follow along as I read, and we'll make some observations as to this idea of service within the local church. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. 
If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I want you to notice that in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, gives us some direction for how to serve and how the body works and functions. I'd like you to take the outline that you have. Uh, it's an insert in your bulletin. It's the uh, notes that you're going to find. It's entitled Series Ministry Fair Preparation. You're going to find a picture that is in the top left-hand corner. Would you take that picture out? I just want you to take a close look at this picture because it, it shows what Paul is saying here about the church today. The church consists of like a body. We all have a head, and the head is connected to the body. We all know that. We understand that. We live that every day. Our body responds to the head because the head is the place that the body gets its commands from. Paul is going to use language that is very specific to his language. Nowhere else in the Bible is this language used. Paul is going to describe the church today as a body connected to a head. Christ is the head, and we the church are the body. And so this illustration is going to give us some idea of how the body functions. He's going to give us some specifics about how we are to function and how we are to serve one another. This analogy is going to be very powerful. Jesus never describes the Jewish church with this language. Jesus never describes the Jewish church as being the body. In the Old Testament, you're not going to find this language in the Old Testament. This language is very Pauline. Paul is going to describe Christ as the head and the church as the body. And we understand that language. The head has to stay connected to the body for it to function. There's some real intimacy here between the head and the body. Here in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, it is the place where Paul is going to teach on this subject and give a number of realities that we need to claim true about the church so that we can understand and we can serve one another in a biblical sense. And so that's our goal and our desire this morning. Take your eyes and go back to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because the context here in the scriptures is very unique. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, look at what Paul says prior to these verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, or be but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice here in verses 1 and 2, Paul says, because of God's love and mercy that has saved us, we have been redeemed and our bodies become now living sacrifices that we offer to him in our worship. Our worship does not happen here in the walls of this church on Sunday morning. This is just a very small slice of the pattern that we set for the rest of the week. What I do when I come here to church every Sunday, I need to be here every Sunday for this reason. 
I set my soul on a pattern of worship for the rest of the week. This becomes a pattern for my soul to say, that's right, Christ is the head. I worship him in everything I do. Paul says here that our bodies become a living sacrifice to him. Can I just go out in left field for just a moment and caution you about what is happening in our culture today by way of saying the human body is being dishonored today in a lot of different ways. But I would like you to consider this by way of this Pauline truth. What about tattoos of the human body? It's interesting that today, tattooing is becoming a very popular thing. In fact, there's a program called Skin Wars. Have you seen the advertisement for it? No? It's an interesting, we've never watched it. Every time we get the advertisement, my wife says, oh, turn the channel. Because what they do is they paint the human body. I mean, fully. I imagine it probably washes off. I hope so. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine trying to have that. But the point is, our bodies are living sacrifices to God. Do you know that the Old Testament said to the Jewish people, God says, don't tattoo your bodies. Why? Well, that was the law. And you're going to say to me, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. We live now in grace. Well, hold on a moment. If the law is good and it's holy and it's righteous, which it is, there's value to that, right? Yes, we live in grace. We're now we are graced. We can, and there's no laws by way of this area. But I've been just pondering this thought about my body being something I offer to God. The human body in and of itself needs nothing to add to it, does it? Here in this theological idea, Paul is teaching that because of God's grace, our bodies now become where God dwells, and now we live out our faith through it, not here in, on Sunday morning, but how we treat our, our wife, our children, our employer, our employee, all of that becomes our worship. Whoa, that just breaks and takes down all the walls, doesn't it? Of sometimes what we think of this as worship, no, this is, yes it is, but it's much broader, isn't it? And then what Paul will do is he'll say in verse 3 through 8, and here's how that body is to be used within the context of the church. Notice here some characteristics of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. With that understanding in verses 1 and 2, we now come to verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, the body of Christ, the first characteristic that we see of the body of Christ is that it is an organism of grace. This body that we are a part of, that is the church, the body of Christ, is an organism of grace. That is, we are here because of grace. God has gifted us with his son Christ, and that's the gift of grace. The very word grace tells us that the motivation for salvation was not in us, but rather in God himself. Grace is unmerited favor. Not only did we not deserve salvation, our sins stood before us and before God, we deserve hell because of our sins. That's the death. That's the result of our sin. But God dealt graciously with us, reaching out to us, giving us life 
for our dead souls and saved us from the powerful prison of sin. Friends, we are here because of grace. The cross of Calvary is a symbol of God's grace. I appreciate the fact that John and Trudy are here this morning. It's good to see you folks. Good to see you back, John. John had, and I asked if I could share this with you this morning, when we were in the hospital Thursday, he had a seizure. And he had to go into emergency, and we were there waiting for the MRI. And so they were there late into the night on Thursday. And we were talking as his wife and Judy stepped out of the room to get something to eat. And we were talking. I said, John, tell me again your experience about coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. He said, and this was without knowing what we were talking about this morning. He said, the cross of Calvary, I'm paraphrasing, the cross of Calvary was very offensive to me when I didn't know Christ. And he came to faith in the Lord Jesus in Japan. He said, the grace of God was very offensive because I knew that I couldn't add anything to the cross. And it was offensive. But he came to the point, you hear his story of how he came to faith in the Lord Jesus? <laughs> he was pulled over by a policeman in Japan because he stole a bike. And the policeman says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? Have him tell your story, his story. It's an amazing story of how God wooed him into faith to show him his need for a Savior. This place is full of grace, isn't it? <laughs> You're here because of grace, aren't you? I'm here because of grace. And the organism of the body is full of grace. Grace saves us for salvation from the penalty of sin. Grace also sanctifies us to help us or to give us the tools to overcome the power of sin. And grace also glorifies us when we get our new bodies. Grace is the theme of everything that is true about who Jesus Christ is. Harold Kimball on Wednesday night is doing a great study. I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. Harold is a great teacher. And on Wednesday night, he shared this verse with us as we were going through this study. He shared 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Grace means that God has done all the work for us at the cross of Calvary. You don't need to work for your salvation, friends. If you're here this morning and you're trying to climb the ladder of goodness, I've got some good news and bad news. The bad news is you're never going to reach it on your own. The good news is somebody did it for you and Jesus Christ climbed the ladder of purity, gave his life for you, and you don't need to do anything. You don't need to work for it. All you need to do is put your heart out and your soul and say, oh God, I need a Savior. I believe in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the family of God if you take that step of faith. And it's a step of faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Past, present, and future, all of your sins were placed on him at the cross of Calvary. You don't need to do anything. Even your baptism was done for you by the Spirit. We're saved by grace. The church, the body of Christ is an organism. It is a living, breathing, active, moving, alive organism. Notice the second characteristic of the body here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God 
has given you. The second characteristic here is that the church, the body of Christ, in serving others, it is rooted in how we think. We are what we think. Thought becomes actions, never the other way around. A computer is programmed and it can only think beyond what it has been given. Here in this passage, go back to chapter 12. Look at verse 1, we read it. We are being transformed in verse 1 and 2. We are being transformed, metamorphosed by our thinking. We are what we think. And we find that God constantly says, it's how you think. We have been caught in the web and the virus of sin. Sin is a virus that has come into our minds and it's screwed up our thinking. Our computer has a virus. It's sin. It has placed ourselves at the center of all of creation and removed Christ from the center. And we have a virus. Salvation is ultimately a salvation of restored thinking and thoughts. The book of Proverbs says it this way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Our actions are a result of our thoughts. Um, my wife and I, we went to the theater on Tuesday night. I hope you're not offended by that. Um, when my mom and dad lived here in Holland, they would tell the stories that you never went to a theater here in Holland, Michigan. That was a no-no. I think it still is, but we went anyway. We don't go to the movie very often, but we had a night where we had free, and so we talked about, well, let's go out on a date. And so we went for dinner, and then we went to the theater to see this movie called Captain America. Oh, some of you have seen it. <laughs> um, we're not into superheroes. Um, it was kind of interesting, corny, all at the same. It was a long movie. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> It was about two and a half hours of this movie, and I found myself at one point thinking, I can't see another person get thrown up against the wall and walk away <laughs> without getting hurt. I, really, for two and a half hours, probably an hour of this movie, are these superheroes fighting against each other, just throwing each other up against the walls, and I mean, taking a left hook, and I mean, they're just knocking each other silly. I thought, man, if I took one shot like that, I'd be done. You know, and I, I just wonder if we're becoming desensitized to even, there was a six-year-old that was sitting in front of us with either a mother or grandmother, I wasn't sure, but I just, I thought as I walked out, I wonder what the six-year-old mind is taking in by all of this stuff that comes into the mind, right? The moral of the story was really good. Captain America, basically, the moral of the story is the enemy wants these superheroes to fight amongst themselves and destroy each other. As the enemy sits back and just kind of lets them fight it out, and the enemy says, just let them fight amongst themselves and we'll win the battle. It's really a good moral <laughs> of the story, but oh boy, it was a long two and a half hours. <laughs> the, the point is that it's in the mind that you and I struggle and battle and the enemy is after your thoughts. Young people, hear me out. It really is important about what you see and watch and what you put into this computer because this is a computer that when you put it in, you are programming your computer 
to live out what you know to be true. And the Bible is very clear here that in our service, it's all about how we think. And we need to be restored in our thinking. Notice the third characteristic here. Serving others is also in proportion to our faith. Faith is the muscle of the soul. We come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Somewhere, somehow, somebody tells us about Jesus Christ. So we say, I believe in Christ. I put my faith in Christ. That same muscle is the same muscle that is used for your sanctification. I have been saved from the penalty of sin at the cross of Calvary. Now I have the power to now live over sin and my sanctification. That's just a big word for us becoming like Christ. We become holy. We become people that follow Christ. And now we have the tools to live in the power of the Spirit. How? By faith. Faith is the tool. Notice here, Paul says, it is by the essence of the faith that has been given that you serve one another. How big is the muscle of your faith? Are you willing to go overseas and to serve the needs of others like Bill and Deb did? That was a step of faith. They retired on Friday, and their retirement lasted for two days. They had a retirement of Saturday and Sunday, and on Monday, they flew out of Holland, Michigan, and their faith pushed them into a place of service. That, my friends, is a muscle of faith. Hear their story, and they will say that the muscle of faith was stretched. I didn't ask her, but I think she's okay with this, Deb. There was a point that Deb said, about, I don't know how many weeks you were into this ministry, but you said, I'm not sure if I can do this anymore, right? And that will happen when you serve, I guarantee you. God says, will you take the muscle that I've given you and use it for my glory? Do you trust me? <laughs> One movie I've really enjoyed, I can watch this movie over and over again, Aladdin, because one of the greatest lines in the movie is Aladdin sticks his hand out twice. Once at the beginning, and he says to her, do you trust me? And the second time, he sticks his hand out to her, and he says, do you trust me? And her eyes are open, and it's like, oh, I know this guy. Jesus Christ comes to you and says, do you trust me for salvation? You bet. Put your hand in him. I'm saved. Do you trust me for your service? is the question that Jesus gives us. It's like driving a car. You can only have one person driving the car at a time. Only one person. I'm going to confess to you something that we did, my wife and I did, very early on in our marriage relationship, and please do not try this at home. Young people, plug your ears, because mom and dad, they're going to probably be upset when they hear you share this story, but it's a true story. You can only have one driver in the car seat at a time. My wife and I, when we were first married, um, we decided when we were moving from California to Michigan, we were moving back here, and we were in our little Honda Civic, 76 Honda Civic. We had everything in the back of our car, and we were moving from California to Michigan because we were going to Grace Bible College to be a student there. We were going somewhere in Arizona. The road was wide open. There was no traffic. When you come from California, there's traffic there, so when you don't have traffic, you enjoy the space. There was no cars around us, and I was driving, and I needed a break. And so I looked at her, and I said, would you drive? She said, sure. 
I said, well, let's not pull over. Let's save some time. <laughs> no, really, we can't do that. Sure, let's try. We can do it. So we were going down the highway about 70 miles an hour. There was nobody around us. I just explained to my wife, this is what's going to happen. I'm just going to sit real close to the steering wheel, okay? And I'm just going to get as tight as I can. And what I want you to do is I want you to climb behind me, okay? And while you're behind me, what I want you to do is you just, you just stay there. And then when I'm ready, I'll just slide over and I'll hold on to the steering wheel. And then you take over the steering wheel. And we did it flawlessly. <laughs> Not a good thing to do. You can only have one driver at a time because it's dangerous for you and I to have two people in the driver's seat. Who's driving your seat? Who's driving your Christian experience? Oh yeah, I'm saved, I know that I'm saved, but you know, now that I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. So now I can just do whatever I want because you know what? I've got a ticket to heaven. That's not Christianity, that's religion. And if you and I are attempting to drive our vehicle with more than one person in the driver's seat, you're in danger. <laughs> Don't try it. Because you might not drive flawlessly. We find here that the proportion of our faith is connected to the truth that God has gifted us. Now, in the next five minutes, I want to give you the last three elements here up to this point. This passage has dealt all with how we think, and this is really important. The next three characteristics are going to be the application. So here's what these last three are in the uh, portion here. Look at the next verse, verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace, there's the grace theme, the grace that was given us. Notice the fourth characteristic. Each believer has something to offer the body. We have different functions in the church. Our physical bodies have different functions, so our spiritual body, the body of Christ, has different functions. You have a spiritual gift that God has blessed you with when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus. You need to use it for the good of the body. And that's basically what we're talking about here. Every one of us has a place. We have a function in the body. Because of time, maybe you can jot this down. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, the passage we read earlier. There are two dangers that that passage talks about. The danger of the body part that thinks that they're inferior. And what they do is they think that they don't have anything to give. And Paul says, no, no, you're not inferior. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20, deals with the mind that thinks they don't have anything to give. And they basically play the Eeyore mentality. You know who Eeyore is in Winnie of the Pooh? He was a negative Nelly. And he just has this negative perspective on life. Don't play the Eeyore part, is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12. You have something to give. The second danger is that person or that part of the body that thinks they're superior. Chapter 12, verses 21 through 26. We think we can go solo. We never look down on anyone else unless we're there to help them up. It's amazing what can be accomplished if we care not who gets the credit? Avoid the Superman mentality. The children worked long and hard on their little cardboard shack. It was to be a special spot, a clubhouse where they could meet together, <coughs> play, and have fun. 
Because a clubhouse has to have rules, they came up with three rules. Number one, nobody act big. Number two, nobody act small. Number three, everybody act medium. That's Pauline theology. We rise by lifting others up. It's God's way. It's his heart. You want to see the heart of God most? It's when he's serving the needs of other people. Look at the fourth, uh, fifth characteristic. We all belong to each other. We're a family. We're a body. We're a community. We're an organism. We belong here. <laughs> this is our family. We're connected to one another because of Christ's blood. We cannot remove a part of our body. Try and cut off a finger or a toe and see what the rest of your body does. We can't do that to one another in the body of Christ. We all have a function. And we all are part of the family. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. In fact, in the body of Christ, there is no male or female. Oh, that will blow your mind. That's what Paul says in the church, the body of Christ. There's not Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. God does not look at you as a male or a female in the church, the body of Christ. That's a whole other teaching that we need to think about. We are family. Jesus said when his family members, his half-brothers and sisters came and talked to him, the disciples said, your, your family's outside. And you know what he says? Jesus looked at them and said, who do you think my mother and brothers are? He then stretched out his hand towards his disciples. Look closely. These are my mother and brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys my heavenly father's will is my brother and sister and mother. We, friends, are, we are family here. Are you part of the family? When our kids lived at home, all of them had a responsibility. Not because they got paid. We gave them the responsibility of things to do because they were family. And they didn't get an allowance for it. They didn't need to get paid for it. You know why? Because they're family. They're part of us. And they got the significance of being part of the family by lifting up the needs and washing the clothes, doing the beds, taking the trash out. Those were all things that they did because they're part of the family. They didn't need to get paid for it. It's because they're family. Number six and the last characteristic each believer has a role, a gift of grace to share with the rest of the body. Each believer that is saved by grace has a gift to share with the rest of the body. What's your gift? Do you know? What's your place here at Parkside Bible Church? Next week, we've got 12 new members that are coming into our family. And we'll introduce them to you next Sunday. Do you know that one of these people, bless her heart, one of these people... She's already serving the body here, and she's doing something. She says, I want to get involved. Can I help? Oh, my goodness. That is so refreshing, isn't it? To hear people that want to become a part of the church and say, I'm here to serve. And they're not even members yet. You know what? We shouldn't let her do that. Let's wait until after next week. Of course not. Where's your part within the church? It was John F. Kennedy in, on January 20th, 1961 that made this great statement in his inaugural address. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. The Bible says, ask not what your church can do for you, but ask rather what you can do for your church. That's Christ's likeness all over again. So the list here that we find in verses 6 through 8 is a list. It's not... It's not um, the only list 
that we find in the Bible, but these are the list of some of the gifts. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving to the needs of others, leadership, showing mercy, etc. I'd like to encourage you to consider this passage as we close from Ephesians 4, verse 16. Paul talks about gifts in Ephesians 4, and here's how he says this passage. From him Christ the head, the whole body church joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this morning I encourage you to consider these things. Where is your role at Parkside Bible Church? What is your ministry that you give back? On this outline of this um, that you took notes, on the back side there is a flow chart of all of the ministries that are going to be represented here next Sunday. And all of the coordinators are listed. There's one name behind each ministry. If you want to talk to that person this week, please feel free to call them and say, I want to be a part of this. I might be gone for two months. Work that out with the coordinator. But we're going to ask you to make a one-year one commitment to your ministry to say, this is how I can serve. Some of us are serving in five or six or seven ministries. Can I ask some of you that are burning yourself out, step back. Step back. Don't leave the whole ministry, but step back and let some other people do those ministries. Some of us are doing ministries that other people can do. Make room. There's going to be more people that are going to be coming into Parkside. So coordinators, make room for more people because we want the whole body to function together as the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to ask the worship team and Alyssa to come up this morning as we close our service. We're going to sing a song that uh, reflects that commitment that we make uh, to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to sing together this closing song. And I encourage you to consider your role. If you're here this morning and you haven't taken that step of faith, believe on the Lord Jesus, that's the first step. That's how we get to first base. And then from second base to third base and to fourth base and to home plate, we grow in grace. Can you use your grace to serve the needs of others? I trust that you will. And let's consider these things as we serve together, my brothers and sisters in the faith. Let's stand together and let's sing.